First off, I just want to say what a great job the band does. Um, this student band is absolutely amazing. Uh, JT and Kendall, they lead them so well. Um, they make my life a lot easier. I actually had this irrational fear before I took this job, before I came and checked things out, that I was going to have to be the one to lead worship. Um, I'm super glad that that's not the case, and, and I'm sure if y'all heard me sing, you'd be glad that's not the case as well. Um, in case y'all couldn't tell, I am not Pastor Crowder. Uh, my name is Michael Penley, and I've had the amazing opportunity to serve your students here for about the last two months. Um, I've had a lot of fun, and I just want to say thank you to y'all. Um, you have made me feel welcomed, and it's nice to know that I have a church family that has my back. Um, so just thank y'all um, for that. I had someone much wiser than me at one point say um, that prayer in the most simplest terms is relationship. Prayer is relationship. What he was trying to say is that prayer is the basis of our ongoing relationship with the Lord. And if you're a Christian, you most likely entered into your relationship um, with God through, via prayer. You know, Lord, save me. Lord, forgive me. Come into my heart. You know, the sinner's prayer. And then we continue our relationship by giving ourselves to prayer and to God. Jesus taught us how to pray. You actually see it in the next chapter, Luke 11, um, Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. There's many parables about prayer. Prayer is all over the Bible. But we all know the value of prayer. I think in this, in this church, we know that we have this desire to pray, but if we were to step back and think about it, sometimes prayer isn't the strongest aspect of our life. And no matter where we are in our lives, I think we would all like to grow in it. So, and I think if we all took a survey as well, that we would all have the same excuses and reasons why we don't pray, or why prayer isn't the strongest aspect of our life. So my hope today, as we look, as we look in Luke 10, that we motivate us to grow in our prayer life, that we are men and women that love to pray, that we are a family that loves to come together and pray together, especially as we talk about the year of the family here at FBC West. I don't think anything's better than prayer. So I wanna give us six tangible prayers to pray every day. But I'm not gonna give these prayers till the end. Um, I'm gonna be talking about prayer in a way that I never have, so stick with me um, just in case I mess up. And the, the notes are gonna be towards the end, the points. Um, so we have all heard about the passage of the parable of the Good Samaritan, but I hope y'all haven't heard it from the angle of prayer. What is interesting when you look at the context, you see in verses 21 and 22 before the parable, Jesus is praying there. And Luke 11, like I said, Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray as John taught his disciples. I want us to look at this together, communicate the truth that Jesus is saying in this parable, and then, like I said, my, my points of prayer won't be till the end. So let's look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, um, Luke 10, um, verse 25 is where I'm going to start. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I'm going to stop right there. This lawyer, I'm sure he was a really smart guy. He knew a lot about scripture, had a lot of it memorized, but I don't think this was a very smart move to put Jesus to the test. A, you don't put someone to the test that is never wrong, and B, if you want to test someone on Bible trivia, don't test the person that wrote it. <laughs> so Jesus goes and just throws a question right back at him, Luke 10, verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law, and how do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This lawyer knew a lot of scripture. You see it right here. He actually quotes two different scriptures, Deuteronomy 6, 5, and then he quotes the Leviticus law, the saying, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus in Matthew 22 actually states that these two commandments right here are the greatest commandments and that you can sum up the entire Old Testament in these two things. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's actually interesting how Jesus responded to this man, to the question that what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because when the lawyer gave his answer, Jesus simply said, you know what, you're, you're right. Verse 28, and he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Instead of explaining to the lawyer that it's not, it doesn't matter what you do, no matter how, how hard you try to do good, or you think you're doing as good as you possibly can, it's not good enough. But Jesus didn't say that you gain eternal life by a relationship with me, by having faith and trusting in me. No, that is not what Jesus did. Jesus instead tells him something to do. That if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, then you will live. So what's going on here? I think we're going to, and we're going to find out. See, this lawyer, think he's, he, he thinks he's doing pretty good right now. You know, that he quoted this scripture, and he probably thinks that he can gain eternal life by simply checking off a checklist. Love God with all my heart? Yeah, I, I do that, check. You know, I serve in the temple, check. I serve God's people, check. You know, I know the law forward and backwards. I help people understand it themselves, check, check, check. And, you know, he feels like he's doing a good job of loving his neighbor as well. But just to double check, he asked Jesus in verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. And in verse 30, we see this. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed him, leaving him half dead. A little backstory to this. Um, the, the path to Jerusalem to Jericho is about 17 miles long. And in Bible times, this was known as the blood path because it was definitely a very dangerous path to go on. Robbers would just wait for people to go by. And you never travel this path alone unless you're in a large caravan, you know, with like, guarded, uh, like guards and everything. You never travel this path alone. It's a dangerous thing. And this man was beaten so bad that there was no way to tell if he was either dead or alive. And Jesus is answering this man's question of who is your neighbor, but he's actually kind of flipping the script a little bit, saying it's not really who is your neighbor, but do you have a, the heart of a neighbor? So what he's trying to get here, that's what he's trying to get there. And you see three people go by this man, and let's see how all three of them respond. So in Luke 10, 31. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. That's not a great look for the priest. It's not a great look for us preachers, if I call myself one. And then you see in verse 32, So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side as well. The temptation when I read this, you know, as a kid and as now, before I did my research, is to think, man, what's wrong with a priest and a Levite? Like, why would they do such a thing? Can they not see that this man is beaten and left for dead? Like, what jerks, honestly, to just let this man die? So I just want to remind you that the priest and the Levite, they were known as good people. They knew God. They loved God. They served the people in his temple. And actually, when the lawyer heard this, he probably didn't have the same reaction I did because the lawyer understood the law. And um, Leviticus 21, it states, if a priest comes near anything unclean, as such as a dead body, and remember that this man was beaten so bad that there was no way to tell if he was dead or alive, he would be deemed unclean. And when you're deemed unclean, you are unable to serve in the temple, you know, be around God's people. You would have to go through this cleansing ceremony that took a long time. So you can't really blame the doctor, I mean, the, the, the Levite and the priest uh, for, for going by. They're not doctors. Like, what could they have done? 
And you actually think about this. So we need to be slow to judge these men. I don't think they were bad men. I just think they were busy, just kind of how we are sometimes. See, this passage indicates that they were coming from Jerusalem, which means that they were coming back from working on the temple. And you don't just go like, like a day job, just work at the temple, come home, go back the next day. No, you're gone at this temple for weeks at a time. So they were gone from their families, from their kids, for, for a long time. And if they would have dealt or potentially messed with this dead body, they would have had to gone all the way back on this dangerous road back to Jerusalem to go through this long cleansing um, ceremony. So you can't really blame them because I'm sure they missed their family. I'm sure they wanted to go back to catch a ball game, mow the grass, or take care of business. So you can't really blame them for not going. Their story, more specifically the actions of the priest and the Levite, they're probably not far off from our own. We're not bad people. We're just kind of busy. Because how many times do we pass someone broken down on the side of the road? Or, you know, like a, a girl crying in the hallway at school? Or, you know, someone at the workplace who is figuratively the enemy in life has beat them down and we just walk by anyways. Like I said, they weren't bad people. They were just busy. So the next thing Jesus does is actually throw a little curveball at, at the lawyer. In verse 33... He says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. See, a Samaritan and the Jews, they hated each other. They had a long history, a long hatred for each other. It's a lot of history. I'm not going to get into it. But that's why you also have the story of the woman at the well who was also a Samaritan. The Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other. And you actually even see in verse 37, that we'll get to in a little bit, the lawyer can't even say the word Samaritan. He has to say the one that showed mercy on him. So in Luke 10, verse 33, which I just read. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sat him in his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. His emotion led to motion. The Samaritan, he felt something. He felt compassion, and it had led him to go do something about it. He didn't wait for the next person to come by. Oh, surely help is on the way. Surely he's got a cell phone and he called someone. I'm going to let someone else deal with it. No, he felt something. He felt compassion for this man that he never met, not knowing if he was dead or alive, and he decided to do something about it. So which one of these, so which one of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus makes the lawyer answer his own question, and the lawyer says, he said, the one who showed mercy... And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus cleared up the question of who is your neighbor. Jesus saying your neighbor isn't a fellow Israelite, someone that talks like you, walks like you, looks like you. No, he's not a fellow West Trojan. No, your neighbor is anyone in need. And I'm here to say that, man, we are all in need. Each and every one of us, every single day, there is something that we are in need about. So anyone is our neighbor, period. No ifs and or buts. It doesn't matter if they're different. Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter. No, anyone is your neighbor. So Jesus says, do these things and you will live. Jesus commanded this lawyer to do something that he was unable to do. No matter how hard you try, you cannot love, like you can't do it. It's simply not that easy. It doesn't mean, you know, you can try your best to be a good and moral person. You know, you can go to church you can volunteer when you're asked. You can make the spaghetti dinners, you know, that are oh so tasty before Wednesday nights. But if you are not, if your heart is not in love of Jesus, then it doesn't matter. Secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. That's kind of hard to do. 
Because you know why? Because I love me some me. Sometimes I think I'm pretty great. And I'm not too bold to say that I'm sure you love you some you. So to love your neighbor as yourself, that's not easy because God, you don't know the way that he or she talks. Oh God, you don't know the way that he or she treats that person. God, you're telling me I have to love him and her as much as I love myself? God, that's not easy. But he's telling you to love them where they're at anyways. Jesus is showing this lawyer, before you can ever love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, mind, and strength, before you can ever love your neighbor as yourself, that unless there's a heart change, you just can't do it. You can't do these things no matter how hard you try. Jesus wants us not to be blinded by self-righteousness, self-success, good deeds. He doesn't want us to have this checklist. That means if we do this, this, and this, oh, we love God then. Now, Jesus is showing this lawyer, unless there's a heart change, you'll never be able to do what I'm commanding you to do. And he is compelling us to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus, saying, I need you, oh, I need you. Every hour of every day, I need you. So this is how we can use this story to show us how, how to pray. Because it all starts with our heart and our relationship with Christ. So here's six prayers that I hope you all embrace with me as we approach the new year. One, a prayer of transparency. God, make my heart yours today. This is where it all begins. It starts with a heart change. You can be a good and moral person, and you can try your hardest, checking off a list, but that doesn't mean that you are madly in love with Jesus. God, I look good on the outside, but on the inside, I've never actually turned of my ways from you. God, let me love the things you love and hate the things you hate. God, make my heart yours today. Second is a prayer of availability. God, guide my path today. Luke 10.31 that we read about says, Now by chance a priest was walking by the road. By chance? No way. Not with my God. There is nothing by chance. He puts you where, you, where he wants you to be. And there is nothing by chance. There is a purpose for it. So I pray that God take me where you need me and give me an opportunity. And that goes into prayer number three. Prayer of opportunity. God, give me eyes to see what you see today. If we see the way God sees, there will be no doubt that we will have opportunity to love and serve others. So I pray, that God, what, I pray that we see what God wants us to see and not what the world wants us to see. The world is so distracting. It is telling us that this is important, so pay attention over here. Oh, over this, this needs more attention than that. No, I pray that God gives us eyes to see what we need to see that day. Number four is a prayer of empathy. God, help me to feel what you feel. What was the difference between the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan is that the Samaritan felt compassion. He knew that something was wrong, and he went and did something about it. Ray Pritchard um, defines compassion as your hurt and my heart. So when he saw that beaten man, maybe he thought something. Like, what if that was me? Wouldn't I want someone to stop? He saw things in a different way. So my fifth prayer is a prayer of mercy. God, lead me to action today. He didn't, the Samaritan didn't wait for someone else to help the man. No, the Samaritan felt something, and he went and acted upon that feeling. So I pray as a church, when we see a need, that we run towards it, and that we meet that need. And if that's just be, the being there for someone, then so be it. Number six is a prayer of ministry. God, use me to serve others today. We are called to serve. Jesus in the Bible many times is called a servant. The Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve. So what would happen if every single day, every single person would pray, 
God, use me to serve others, to go to those in need, need and be there with them. What would our schools look like? What would our workplace look like? I dare to say, what would our church look like if every single day we would go and ask God to use us to serve others? Everyone is in need, and we are all called to serve. So what I love most about these prayers on the screen is that if you don't pray number one, God, make my heart yours today, I highly doubt you pray number six, God, use me to serve others today. Each prayer kind of goes off each other. We need a heart like God if we want to serve others. So I pray as the new year approaches that we pray bold prayers, that we ask God to put us in a place to serve, and if we see a need that we, as people in a church, that we run to go meet that need. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, I come to you today thankful. Thankful for this opportunity that I had to just come and share my heart. Lord, I pray in this new year that you put us in a place that you want us to be, that nothing is by chance, that we serve your people, that we love, the, love people like you love people, that we hate sin like you hate sin. Um, God, we are so thankful, thankful for this church and this community that we have to be together. In Jesus' name, amen.